one of the first um, Marian uh, celebrations that I went to as a Catholic, um, I thought, well, this is a day where Mary is thought of. I think it was the, the Feast of the um, Assumption. And I thought, well, I'm going to get ready for this um, Mary day in the Catholic Church by listening to one of my old sermons from the Gospel of Luke, where I talked about Mary. And I was embarrassed as I listened to my own voice naming the four Marian dogmas that we're going to unpack in this series and ruthlessly bashing them in front of our church and discussing from my uh, memory banks of Scripture and my understanding of the Bible why those things could just not be true at all. Welcome to another Pickin' and Grinning episode of On the Journey. I'm Matt Swaim, and for once, I have a lot more to introduce at the beginning of an episode. Um, it's not just On the Journey with Matt and Ken. Uh, for the next several episodes, it's On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. So I'm Matt Swaim, along with my colleague Ken Hensley, pastoral care director and former Baptist pastor, but also Kenny Burchard, former Foursquare Church pastor, church planner guy as well and Director of Development for the Coming Home Network. And why, you might ask, do we have so many people involved in this one particular series of episodes? It's because we're doing a big old topic. We're getting, finally, after many, many requests from many of you, into the topic of Mary and how we used to think of her as Protestants and all the things that went into uh, how we came around to the Catholic understanding of Our Lady. Before we get into some of that, I want to remind you to go to chnetwork.org. You can find tons and tons and tons of free resources from the Coming Home Network if you're interested in the Catholic Church at any level. Um, we have plenty of free stuff for you. You can also join our online community, community.chnetwork.org. And uh, if you're helping out to support our work, we are grateful. And if you're not, you can easily join that cause by going to chnetwork.org slash compass. Ken, Kenny, how Hello. are you? <laughs> I'm doing only... great. How are you doing? It's good to see you, Kenny. <laughs> you too, Ken. It's okay uh, to see you too, Matt, but it's really good to see Kenny. That, that's right. It's good to see both of you. I um, can see you. So I'm going to have to discipline myself so hard during the course of this episode yeah. uh, to remember which one of you goes by Ken and which is Kenny, because I'm going to address the questions to the wrong person about 100 times per episode. But we're going to try. <laughs> we're going to try and make okay. it through. Okay. So well, the the only people that call me Ken are the people who who really love me and care about me a lot. Everyone else calls me Kenny, and so that, that'll and that's that'll basically help. the majority of the world, right? <laughs> so those of us who don't care about you, know, you will um, be right in the right in the zone. Hey, well, look, I'm happy to be getting on with this subject because it is one that we've talked about here and there. You know, uh, Matt, you and I have done about a hundred episodes of On the Journey with Hard Matt to and Ken, and this is a subject that's been in our minds, and so. I, I, I'm happy to get to it. And so what we're going to be doing over the next some weeks is basically telling the story of how we 
came to embrace the uh, the Catholic teaching regarding Mary. Um, mm-hmm. Again, as you mentioned, Kenny was a Pentecostal pastor for many years. I was a Baptist pastor. You were a, uh, what were you again? Oh, yeah. You were a Wesleyan holiness kind of guy. You and just so spit that out of your bottom, mouth. The whole bottom line, we were all bottom line, we were all Protestants, and now we're we're all Catholic. And so, this is going to be an interesting story and one that I look forward to telling. Yeah, it's not something we came by like a switch flipped or anything. I mean, this is stuff that we wrestled no. with, and we wrestled with hard. And so, we want to respect uh, to the fact that many of you are having a real hard time with this stuff, and we understand. Like, it was not an easy road for any of the three of us. But the way we're going to do it is we're going to first, in this first episode, really kind of go through uh, some of where our thinking was um, in regard to Our Lady. We're going to do the who, what, when, where, how, and why uh, regarding our previous beliefs about Mary. So we'll just get the who out of the way. It's the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's done. We can move it off to the side. (laughs) Great. Let's let's go next to the how. That Um, was hard. And how did you think about Mary? Kenny, since you're new here, we'll start with you. <laughs> how did you think about Mary? If someone had asked you before you were Catholic, when you were a Foursquare pastor, you know, how do you think about Mary? What would you have said? Yeah, I've thought a lot about this, and it's something that I have to talk about regularly with people. And um, it's an important question. How did I think about this before I was Catholic, and how how would I have talked to someone in our congregation about it, for instance. And I would say that I went through an evolution of thought about Mary. Uh, Mary wasn't someone that I thought a lot about in the early stages of even being a Christian. Um, she was kind of part of the scenery. And so probably the the first word that I would use to describe how I thought about Mary, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick a word from the uh, the food manufacturing and higher education, both of these industries use this word, adjunct, A-D-J-U-N-C-T, adjunct, is an additive to something that doesn't really add value or nutrition. It's just there. It's like the, it's like food coloring. And so I, I initially really thought of Mary as an adjunct to the story of salvation. If we took her out, we still could have gotten there. Um, the fact that she's part of the story isn't essential to the story. Um, and I, I think I did that with a lot of things uh, in my faith, but Mary for sure, where I essentially said, well, if it wasn't her, it would have just been someone else. It didn't need to be Mary. She's an adjunct. She's standing in for any old person who could have been in her place. Um, and I, I think I held to that idea at least uh, for a long time. And then, as I, as I came along in my faith, um, I think the one thing that I would have argued for and even died for uh, or fought hard for would have been the virgin birth. So if I was talking about Mary in dogmatic terms, if I was you know fighting about Mary, it wasn't about Mary per se, or especially Catholic ideas about Mary, but it was like... Um, well, Jesus was born of a virgin through Mary, and I'm ready to go to war on that. That was about as serious uh, as I was willing to get in terms of um, theology that I would advance or theology that I would promote. Jesus was born of a virgin through Mary, but still could have been any virgin. 
which, um, you know, like I said, that's that sort of that adjunct um, view. But then I would say I became, and you'll notice there's three A words here, adjunct um, and then advocacy of the virgin birth. But then the third was antagonism. The longer that I went, um, li like many people like me, I learned a lot about Catholicism from the ex-Catholic members of our church, from anti-Catholic people that I read or who were teachers that I respected. And I heard about Marian ideas from those folks. And so I kind of became antagonistic toward Marian ideas, especially as they were held by the Catholic Church. So those, as we'll discuss here in a few minutes, came out um, as I went along as a pastor. I included, you know, anti-Marian ideas in my anti-Catholic Marian ideas in the way that I talked about Mary. I couldn't just talk to, about her at face value. Uh, I had to sort of push against Catholic ideas. So that's kind of my evolution. Yeah, it's so funny that you say this, and I want to get to Ken here in, in just a second, but um, you know, thinking about Mary as like yellow number five on the back of a granola bar, like why is it even in there? Um, or like thinking about Mary as like the Sea of Galilee, like it's just a piece of like the background of the flannel graph, yeah. <laughs> right? Or, exactly. or that stuff. But it's funny that you you uh, you mentioned that you know when you talk about the Virgin Birth, is it's going to be funny later on in future episodes when we get into the actual church's teachings about Mary. When you're like, man, my thoughts about the Virgin Birth weren't really about Mary at all; they were about Jesus. And I'm like, well. Save that thought, <laughs> put it in the back of your mind because it's going to come up later. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, well, listen. Uh, let me let me yeah, add Hensley. a fourth A. Uh, Ken Hensley's uh, little uh, uh, speech now will be an additive. The fourth A, okay? Because Kenny, you covered it pretty well. Your three A's, your triple A, you know, uh, performance there. You covered really well. Um, the only thing I would say is that I really didn't have the antagonism. I'm trying to remember. I don't think that that I really had uh, former Catholics in my congregation that were outspoken about this, and so I didn't really have that a aspect. But I can summarize it by simply saying this: that there really isn't much to say. During the time that I was a Protestant, you asked me what I thought of Mary. Well, Mary was an extraordinarily ordinary young woman who God blessed, and uh, you know, as you said, it could have been any woman. Um, that's what she was. She was a normal woman, uh, maybe maybe even an average woman, maybe a below average woman. I didn't know about that, but she was a woman, a young woman that God had decided to bless in an incredible way so that she would become the bearer of the God-man, the incarnate second person of the Blessed Trinity. And that's about it. Um, I have more that I'll say um, you know, as we move forward, but that's really about it. That's what I thought about Mary. All right. Any further thoughts before I move on? These are the... This is the great journalism questions, uh, you know, when I go to broadcast school. I mean, and they ask, they ask me at, uh, you know, Broadcasting 101, you got to ask the the who, what, when, where, how, and why. So uh, let's go to the why. Let's go to the why. So why was it, uh, and we'll start with you again, Kenny, um, why was it that you thought of Mary in that particular kind of way? Yeah, I think about this and just about any theological idea in terms of building blocks. You know, what what do you use to construct any theological idea, biblical idea, faith idea uh, that you have, and and the, the ingredients that you go after, and and you you sort of create 
your theological ideas out of those building blocks. And I would say um, one of the the reason that I thought this way about Mary is I didn't see very much biblical material about Mary. So just by virtue of not feeling like I had a lot to draw from in Scripture, it seemed to me at least that the Bible didn't make much of Mary, so why should I? And then when I did see um, biblical texts, I also was listening to the teachers that I trusted. Many of them interpreted texts where Mary was mentioned in antagonistic ways or even derogatory ways, which will come out as, as the series goes on. And so maybe my hermeneutic, so biblical material, then my hermeneutic, how am I interpreting biblical verses where Mary is mentioned? And we have a long history of anti-Marian uh, interpretation of the texts that mention her. So I, I, I grabbed on to those. And then I, I think I was also reacting to Catholics when I would see them um, doing the things that they did regarding Mary. I, I would recoil and even feel like I had to respond. Um, I had to say something about the way Catholics uh, thought about and interacted with their ideas of Mary. And I was drawing on these sort of these anti-Catholic uh, presuppositions that I had learned along the way. So that's kind of, those are some of the building blocks for me. I certainly didn't think that Catholics had any good reason to conclude the way that they did about things. I, I didn't know about about them, to be honest. Yeah, in that, and, you know, I just want to ask kind of like a little bit of a follow-up uh, in there because you mentioned how in some cases, you know, why do you think that way? Well, because you heard about Mary preached in sometimes an antagonistic way in places where she showed up. And I can tell you one that, sh that, that was the case for me, um, you know, more than a couple of times I would hear in, you know, the passage from Matthew 12, right? Where somebody comes up to Jesus and says, your mother and brothers are outside and uh, right. I want to talk to you. And he says, well, my real mother and brothers are these people, yeah, <laughs> right? right? As yeah, if to say, right. yeah. well, you know, I mean, like, like really diminishing or like, you know, Mary yeah. was trying to get through to him because uh, she was foolish and didn't understand what Jesus was really about and that sort of thing. I was, I, I'm wondering if that's the yeah. kind of tone that these things took. Yeah, or the wedding feast at Cana, you know, like, woman, it's not my time, you know, you know, like, get out of here. Get away, but, you know, why are you bothering me? Yeah. <laughs> was sort of, exactly. the, sort of the feeling I had. You know, again, let me piggyback on what Kenny has said here. In terms of building blocks, that's a good image. Um, well, my my building block was scripture, you know, that it, it really begins with scripture and has already ended with scripture. And then my understanding of fundamental Christian teaching uh, based in scripture and the teachers that I followed and that I listened to. And so I would agree with you, Kenny, that first of all, it is like there wasn't that much about Mary in the New Testament. So I wouldn't have thought that she was someone incredibly important. Uh, again, someone that God blessed, no doubt. I mean, blessed with an incredible beyond belief, amazing blessing, but a normal human being. And so um, I just looked at scripture and in a very simple way, Okay, as for Mary's perpetual virginity, which we're going to get into, but, you know, it, it would have been as simple as, hey, wasn't she about to get married? You know, and doesn't the Bible say, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth? And don't the Gospels, as you said, Matt, don't the Gospels speak in, in several places of Mary's brothers and sisters? Don't they even name them? 
so that we, we, we hear it. That's what I would have thought. Um, regarding Mary's immaculate conception, another dogma that we're going to be getting into, I would have just simply said, um, isn't it clear enough what St. Paul says in Romans 3, verses 9 and 10? Let me read it. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for I have already charged that all men, both Jews and Greeks, are under the power of sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. Not one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. No one is good, not even one. I would have just simply read that and said, you know, no, the, you know, the Catholic view is impossible. As for Mary's bodily assumption, I think my attitude would have been, um, well, it's possible. You know, God did, God apparently did bodily assume Enoch into heaven very early in the book of Genesis. We know that Elijah the prophet was, you know, scooped up and bodily assumed into heaven. And so I would have said, yeah, sure, it's, it's possible. I mean, it's possible that Matt Swaim is going to be, you know, bodily assumed into heaven. But where is there a shred of evidence in the text, in the New Testament? That's what I would have said. So yeah. again, to, to boil it down, I would I would simply say it was just my reading of the New Testament. Mary appears yeah. to have been an ordinary young Jewish woman whom God tremendously blessed. She got, she got married, she had children. Jesus was one of them. She was normal, and Catholics are nuts uh, really to make more of her than that. Yeah, and I you know just to connect to that, Ken, I um I think that that was my my um my automatic response as well when I would hear. Um, Marian ideas, especially the Catholic dogmatic ideas about Mary, it seemed easy to me, just just like what you did, to just drop down into my brain, find biblical texts that seemed to, on the face of them, completely blast away the Catholic ideas about um, Mary, and just leave no question whatsoever. And and I think, and this will come up again and again, I'll probably use this phrase as we go through the series, but the reason for that is that I discovered later that I wasn't, even though I was reading the Bible, which like you, Ken, is where I got most of my responses to Mary, I wasn't reading the Bible with the church. And that's something that's going to come up you know, as we as we work through this, I certainly well, was reading the Bible. It's but not something that has church. come up a whole lot in on the journey with Matt and Ken before Matt and Ken and Kenny ever materialized. Because uh, here's, I I can think of concretely one place where it showed up, and that was in our series that we did, um, where we did a number of episodes on baptism, right? Uh, because right. and I, I'd be curious about both of this. You know, as we're in the why did you think that way part, right? Um, why did you think that way? Because one of the ways that I at least was trained to search the scriptures to understand what they meant. You pick up a concordance, and if you want to find out what the Bible says about Mary, you go to the M's, right? <laughs> and then you go and figure out how many times her name shows up and what verses it shows up. And that, my friends, is everything the Bible has to say about Mary. I mean, that's right. that's the way that I would have done it as a you know, and, and of course, my resources, I worked at Family Christian Store for a number of years. I used my employee discount on everything we had, right, back there in the back in terms of the Strong's Concordance and all that other fun stuff. I had them all, right? If I want to know what the Bible taught about Mary, I went to the M's. Look at right. She shows up in X number of places. Boom. That's the textual evidence. That's what we got. Exactly right. So I, th I think both Ken and I would say that, you know, the reason that we thought the way that we did 
is that we felt that our understanding of Scripture was solid and we had done our homework, quote-unquote. We'd read all those texts under the letter M and we didn't see anything worth jumping up and down about re regarding Mary, especially like our Catholic friends did. And so for me, I felt I could disregard it. And, you know, anyone who might be watching this who was part of our congregation where I was their pastor, I was the teaching pastor, would have heard me say over and over and over again about lots of things, not just Mary, that the reason we don't believe this or that we do believe this church is because, and then everyone would say, it's in the Word or it's not in the Word. And so from my perspective, the things Catholics believe and believed about Mary just were nowhere to be found in the Bible. I only want to add one uh, little piece of my own understanding to the mix um, before we move on to the where, as in the where did this come out in your preaching, <laughs> right? You already hinted at a little bit of it uh, here, Kenny. Yeah. Um, and that is that, uh, at least in my particular Christian milieu that I was in, uh, it was driven by one singular question, and that was, what must I do to be saved, right? That was there the question go. that was driving it all. And so anything that didn't have to do with that question was not important, right? And so so that was a big part of it, too. So why— why are, we, why are we adding in all this extra stuff? Like, it's not necessary. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Like, that's the driving question. All this, well, as you say, additives and adjuncts and all that other stuff. Like, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. So, um, yes. anything else before we move to the where? Because I'm where? very, very curious about the where. I have some juicy questions to ask you about the where. Ask you guys ready? I'm, I'm ready. Right, so, where? So Ken Hensley. Where did this come out in your preaching as a Baptist pastor when it came to all the things we were just talking about, about how you thought about Mary and why you thought that way? You know, I, I've mentioned here today, and as I look back, I realize I've mentioned this in a number of episodes that we've done of On the Journey with Matt and Ken, and uh, something that kind of surprises me, and that is that I was not anti-Catholic. Um, the reason it surprises me is because I— loved the Puritans, and the Puritans were super anti-Catholic. And when I read the Puritans and they bashed on the Pope or they bashed on the Catholic Church, I would kind of, you know, chuckle and grin, and, and I thought I agreed with them. But it wasn't something I was into. So th the first thing I want to say, Matt, is that I was not into pursuing the Catholic way of seeing things and knocking it down or anything like that. My experience of Catholics was in the pro-life movement, and it was uniformly positive. And as I mentioned in other episodes, I loved to go out to this Benedictine monastery for spiritual retreats, and I would listen to the bells ringing, and I'd go into the chapel, and I would chant, you know, the uh, the psalms with the monks and all. I wasn't anti-Catholic, and so for me, I would say that it definitely didn't come out in my preaching in the sense of me taking time to shoot down Catholic beliefs, but mainly— it didn't come out in my preaching really hardly at all because I didn't preach in the Gospels. As I look back on it, you know, I was a pastor for 11 years. I was only a senior pastor for um, eight and a half or so where I was preaching, you know, all the time. And I preached virtually exclusively from the epistles. Uh, you know, I did what's called expository preaching. I'm, I'm sure you did a lot of that too, Kenny. 
you know, a verse yeah. by verse exegesis and exposition of scripture. So I would launch into like Paul's epistle to the Ephesians and spend a year there. And then I went there, then I preached through Hebrews and spent a year and a half there. And then I preached through the Philippians or Colossians and, and Romans. I, I spent my time in the epistles. And as I look back on it, I think I only preached from the gospels on Christmas and Easter and uh, maybe a few other times. And so, yeah, I might run into a passage like in St. Paul where he says Jesus was born of a woman, and I'd say, that's Mary, and then move on to the next, the next point. But I really did not have occasion in my preaching career to talk about Mary much, to expound on Mary, to explain anything, good or bad. I think that my presupposition, as I stated earlier, my presupposition was that she was a young Jewish woman who God blessed. And she was entirely normal and ordinary in every other way. And so it didn't really come out in my preaching. So I'm eager to hear what you have to say on this, Kenny. Yeah, what you got, Well, I think, uh, <laughs> I think that uh, Ken and I would, would both um, say that we shared a value for what we understood to be expository preaching. And again, anyone who might be watching this where I was their pastor would say, Pastor Kenny was a verse-by-verse -verse teacher through Scripture, uh, and it was kind of a joke in, in our church. You just go to the next verse, go to the next verse. But different from Ken, I spent a lot of time uh, in the Gospels, certainly in the epistles as well. I happened to have preached through the, the book of Galatians and glossed over that born-of-a-woman text um, when I got to it. But I spent about two and a half years preaching verse by verse through the Gospel of Luke. And this is where my anti-Catholic Marian ideas, I would say, both came out and also began to be challenged to some degree. Because uh, working through the Gospel of Luke, um, I had to confront those texts where Mary was featured prominently uh, in lots of different ways. And, and I also preached through big chunks of other Gospels as well. But I, I think it probably came out in my preaching quite a lot for another reason as well, and that is that we had a lot of ex-Catholics in our church, former Catholics. I, I think probably 30, maybe 40% or more of the members of our church were former Catholics. And some of the people that were attending our church regularly were active Catholics with their spouse where, and I'm thinking of, of a few couples right now, where the husband would go to mass early in the morning and then come to our church for our church service later in the morning. And I can remember vividly, in fact, I have all, all of my sermons recorded, and I can remember vividly um, poking on the Catholics who were part of our Sunday morning gatherings who had come from Mass that day, and I would do things like I would say, where are my Catholics? Where are my Catholics? And they knew I was going to rib them, and they would raise their hands, and I would say, okay, Catholics, and then I would kind of bash them, you know, from the pulpit about a text that I was reading to, you know, just to give an example um, where it, it says in the gospel, uh, uh, Jesus, your mother and brothers are here asking for you. And then I would look up from the text and say, all right, Catholics, look this way. I introduce to you the brothers and sisters of Jesus, in case you are still hanging on to that false Catholic idea that Jesus 
didn't have siblings. And I would get people applauding me uh, when I would do things like that from our pulpit. And it was, you know, I look back at it now, one of the first um, Marian uh, celebrations that I went to as a Catholic, um, I thought, well, this is a day where Mary is thought of. I think it was the the Feast of the um, Assumption. And I thought, well, I'm going to get ready for this um, Mary day in the Catholic Church by listening to one of my old sermons from the Gospel of Luke, where I talked about Mary. And I was embarrassed as I listened to my own voice naming the four Marian dogmas that we're going to unpack in this series and ruthlessly bashing them in front of our church and discussing from my uh, memory banks of Scripture and my understanding of the Bible why those things could just not be true at all. Uh, and I'll, I'll just add a second thing, and this, and this relates to what you said earlier, Matt, about salvation. I didn't see Mary, uh, anything that happened with Mary except for the virgin birth, and again, it could have been anybody, as being part of the story of salvation. Um, I, I didn't see her integral place in the story of salvation or in salvation history. Uh, and so it was just easy for me to leave her out because of, let's say, my lack of a robust understanding of what God was doing in history with the human race uh, in bringing about salvation. It was just easy for me to look, overlook Mary. But I, I different from Ken, I, I spent time in the Gospels, and when I would come to a text that seemed to minimize, degradate, or, or uh, confront Catholic Marian ideas, I ruthlessly um, and and very vocally would come after those ideas. Yikes. I had no clue about that. That's very interesting to hear. And that makes me really interested to hear the story of, of your turnaround in these in the coming episodes of this series we're doing. You've also given me the inspiration for another series of uh, some kind of project on Coming Home Network Presents where we just find... Protestant pastors who are now Catholic find old tapes of their sermons and get them to oh, respond to them. Oh, <laughs> just yeah. play the just play the tape and say, "All right, what do you have to say about that yeah, now?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to add w one other piece of my experience, and then I have a couple questions for you, uh, both on this uh, um, this where did this come out in your preaching? So, uh, one of the again, this is still Mary as a background character type of stuff but it was in there right it was it was still sure it was still in it in there for me um because i didn't hear it preached about very much but in 1991 there was a guy named michael english who was part of the gaither vocal band i don't know if you of know course. about michael english and the gaither vocal band gaither vocal band uh our church of sang course. from bill gaither's library all the time michael english yep. was in there a few others you weren't allowed to have earrings in the gaither vocal band so michael english had magnetic <laughs> earrings so uh, Michael recorded a song that was written by a another member of the Gaither vocal band who happened to be also a Christian comedian. I'm giving right. a lot of backstory. That Christian comedian's name was Mark Lowry. And one of these days, before I or he die, I hope to interview Mark Lowry because I have some <laughs> questions about how he came to do this in, I think he wrote it in 1984. How in 1984 it came to him to do this, but he wrote this song <laughs> that like Protestants love. They, oh, they love, love it. it. You cannot yes. avoid it. It's called 
Mary, Did You Know? Um, you can't avoid this song. It's been recorded by everybody. I think CeeLo Green has recorded it. Like, it's just, it's, it's, it's ubiquitous. And it also, right. um, I think in, in Mark's mind, and I'd love to, I'll ask him about this one day. Uh, it reinforces a wonder about the, the mystery of the Christmas story and the incarnation, but it also kind of reinforces some of the, you know, probably the stereotypes about Mary's, you know, ordinariness or even below averageness or, you know, yes. cluelessness. Um, and some of those might even come from like a, like a patriarchal view of, <laughs> you know, of, totally. of women in Protestantism. It might come from a whole bunch of places, but it was back there. Um, yeah. But that, I, I, that, I think about that oh, song. I think about that song quite a lot. And I remember vividly listening to that song um, shortly after completing my journey into the Catholic Church, listening to it and pausing it during those one, one of those, Mary, did you know? And I pause it and say, yeah, she knew. The angel she told her. She didn't know her. all those things, but there are some of those things that she did know, right? Um, yeah. So, what I want to know, Matt, is uh, yeah. wasn't your mother carrying you in a bassinet into church in 1991? 1991? I was 11 years old, man. Give me a break. Okay, okay. All right. Yeah, I remember that song, too. I thought it was about epistemology. I thought this song was about Mary and epistemology. I just didn't really follow no, it. No, no, no. Uh, Kenny, no. Ken, did you know? <laughs> That this song was not about epistemology. All right. Um, but the other thing, too, uh, and, and in the where, I am curious about this. I heard in my Church of the Nazarene, um, in the United Methodist Church I went to until I was in second grade, in the Free Methodist Church I went to from sophomore year through college, um, I heard sermons and sometimes sermon series about Esther, about Hannah, um, about Deborah, right? About right. JL who smashed a tent peg through Sisera's head, right? right. Mm -hmm. About a whole bunch of holy women. About Ruth, um, whole series on Ruth and Naomi. Um, I don't think I ever heard a sermon about Mary or a sermon series about Mary. I wonder if that were the case in any of you guys. I know, Ken, you you preached a lot from, from Paul, but I, I mean, was this... Did you ever preach extensive sermons on other women um, from the Bible? No, I would have brought them up as examples, though, you know, uh, examples and illustrations. And I think that, yeah, I think what you said rings a bell, that I could have used Sarah. I could have used You know what Seth's going to do now, but, by the way, you know. What's because that? Because you said rings a bell. Oh, ding, ding. Yeah. <laughs> Why did I have to say that? Anyway, I'm, I'm sure I use some of these holy women from the Old Testament as examples, and I'm sure that I didn't think of Mary, and I'm sure, I, I'm sure that I didn't. It was just sort of like, it was a sin of omission. You know, in, in the preachers that I listened to, I, I can vividly recall one sermon about Mary, and the guy was trying really hard to be balanced, you know, to, to say good things about Mary but also constantly knocking Catholic ideas about Mary in his sermon about Mary. Um, and it just felt, felt like you had to do that. Uh, and I had heard several series, Matt, like you said, about heroes of the faith or biblical heroes of the faith, and even heard pastors that I look up to talk about the godly women in the Bible and hold up these Old Testament um, women, which we will do in the series, I'm sure, but never mention Mary in those in those sermons on 
the godly women of the Bible. Well, and you know again, what? And there's a my reason. My memory's not perfect, but but that's what I recall. You know what? And I would say, as I as I contemplate this, I would say that there's a reason for that. That is, these women in the Old Testament were examples of heroic faith. And in my mind, Mary didn't do anything. You know, exactly. she just, I mean, uh, you know, the angel just came and told her, you're going to have this child. And she's like, uh, all right, you know. And um, so basically she didn't do anything. So I, I probably wouldn't have thought of her in, in, in that same company. But anyway, don't want to belabor that. Agreed. No, and, and she was also, and we'll come to this later down the road, she's also in a lot more places than I ever realized, right? I remember when somebody told me, yeah. uh, you know, about you yeah. know Mary being there at, at uh, the upper room at Pentecost, I'm like, come on, you guys, you Catholics want to just like plop Mary into every story, you know, and like, you know, put her in all kinds of places and give her a bigger role and whatever. And then they showed me, of course, Mm -hmm. beginning of Acts. I'm like, oh, hey, she actually is there. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So even when she was in certain places, she was invisible to me. But, but let's talk about this. And we have to be careful about the when. Right, because now we're on to the win. We've done the how, the why, the where it came out in your preaching. Now we're in the win. We have to be careful about not spoiling the entire series in this. Um, oh no, no, just a summary statement. Just a little quick, quick, you know, drive by mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. When was it? Um, we'll start with you, Hensley. That you began to be open to thinking a little bit differently about the whole Mary question, or all the Mary questions, actually. Yeah. Okay. Good question. No, I, I've got seven thousand things. No, I'm I, I'm I, I'm going to follow your lead on this. <laughs> don't spoil the very, whole very series short. right now. Just don't. Spoil I'm going to keep series. it short. I'm going to keep it short. Um, I have stated that I didn't think much about Mary, and in my preaching there wasn't much about Mary. I was always in the epistles, and I wasn't consciously anti-Catholic. I wasn't pursuing Catholics ever, so there wasn't that angle in my life. And so I have to say, really, that. It was when, for me, the the win is when I began for the first time to really listen to the case for Catholicism. Um, studying Mary in depth is not something I did until I began to study Catholicism in depth. Okay, on one level, and this I have to answer this on two levels. On one level, I can see, looking back, that it was a matter of listening to biblical Catholic biblical theologians, Catholic apologists, and historians, and just coming to realize that the biblical and the historical case for Mary, for the Marian doctrines of the Catholic faith, coming to realize that they're 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 much stronger than I imagined that they were before. You know, you know, I just assumed that there was no case that you know you know again as I said a little while ago, you know, the New Testament is 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 clear. She got married. She had kids. They've got names. You know, the gospel, the authors of the gospels give us their names. That's all there is to it. And there's no one righteous. No, not one. She was a sinner just like everybody else. There's no immaculate conception. I thought it was pretty simple. And so the first thing is is beginning to read good Catholic biblical studies, apologists, theologians, biblical theologians primarily, because that's really where where my focus was as a as a Christian thinker, and be, and and just beginning to see that you know what, there's a case for this stuff that is much stronger than I knew, uh, because it's not just a matter of looking at the New Testament; it's a matter of biblical theology and tracing themes throughout the whole Bible. And I won't mention any one of those because we're going to come to those. Okay, but then on a 
On a more fundamental level, Matt, and I'm sure this won't surprise you as we've talked so much about the issue of authority, the critical issue, Sola Scriptura and all that, um, it was on this foundational level, it was a matter of my coming to believe that the Catholic Church's conception of itself might be true, that Christ had founded a church and that he had given that church authority to teach in his name, authority uh, the ability given by the Holy Spirit to preserve apostolic truth and to pass it down and to um, pronounce on it when when needed. And so um, I suppose that I could say that listening to the biblical and historical case about the Marian dogmas, realizing the case was more compelling than I thought it had been, opened the door for me because it it kind of rattled me in this sense. And I'm sure, Kenny, I'm sure you relate to this. Yes. It, rat- it rattled me because... Had I not been operating on the basis of Scripture alone, and and didn't I think that I was a deep reader of Scripture, and not just a not just an exegete, but but I was into biblical theology, I was into salvation history, I was into yes. tracing the great themes of Scripture, and so how did I miss all this stuff, or how did I not at least take this stuff into account? Um, so I was being rattled on that level, and then on the deeper, more foundational level. I was beginning to think, I was beginning to wonder, maybe the Catholic Church, maybe the case for the Catholic Church's authority is stronger than I thought that it was. And that maybe along with the Bible, maybe along with an inspired book, maybe it makes sense that Jesus gave us a church with the ability to to pass these things down and to define them. Because here I've been teaching, you know, and I've been reading the Bible for 20 years, and yet I didn't see this stuff. And yet, during all that time, I I thought that what we were supposed to do is Christians are supposed to read the Bible and decide for themselves what they think it's teaching, and then find a church that fits with that and just you know mosey along. And so it was these things rattling on the level of Scripture itself and history, biblical theology, and then that pushing me to that more foundational question: uh, question is mm-hmm. sola scriptura true? Is this the way that the Lord set up his church, is that we read the Bible and we figure it out? Um, or is there something more um, foundational than that? Is there an authority beyond me? That's really the answer without getting into any details. Yeah. All right. I, I'm looking forward to that, to hear it a little bit more about that. We got, you just opened up a big old door. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so, yeah, Kenny, go ahead. Yeah, I think my answer to the when question would have a lot of similar um milestones to to Ken. Um, I, I remember knowing that I was on a very intentional journey that was going one way into the Catholic Church uh, within just a few weeks of, of truly becoming open to it. I knew that it was going to happen. I was going to become Catholic. Um, but I didn't know how, and part of the reason I didn't know how was because of the Mary stuff. And I came home from, I don't know what I was doing, but I came home and sat down at my kitchen table and I, I picked up a bunch of these little composition notebooks from the dollar store. This one happens to have written on the front of it, summaries in Marian theology. Uh, I wrote down all the issues that I had with Catholic Marian thought, Catholic Marian dogma. And I told my wife, I know I have to become Catholic. I know God's calling me to become Catholic, but I don't know how I ever can be 
if I can't solve these questions that I have about Mary, because they're not just um, Catholic ideas that you can accept or reject if you want. Many of the ideas, which we'll discuss, rise to the level of dogmatic beliefs. They are essential to the Christian faith uh, and to the Catholic expression, the fullness of the Christian faith. And so I knew that I couldn't just become Catholic and reject the Marian ideas. And the other issue that I was struggling with, which actually happened to be part of the solution, the problem that I thought was there happened to be part of the solution, was how I learned to study the Bible in seminary, which was uh, through the methodology of biblical theology. How does the theme, what, what's the overarching story of Scripture, and how does any theme I'm studying in Scripture fit inside of that biblical story, that meta-narrative of Scripture. And just right off you know, the cuff, I would have said, well, Mary doesn't really, isn't really necessary to the biblical story, at least insofar as I understood it. But one of the first things that I had to do that helped me to become open is read a biblical scholar, work through the Marian questions using, as a Catholic, using the very methodology, using the very approach to Scripture that I learned in seminary as a non-Catholic. And I read through it and watched this guy uh, do this in, you know, just in a way that had incredible um, depth and finesse and hit all the pieces. And I remember sitting at my kitchen table going, how did I miss this? It was always right here in front of me. And, you know, part of the thing that I discovered through that process is that I was actually proof texting in a, in a bad way. I was proof texting away from Marian ideas held by the Catholic Church. Whereas if I had taken the approach of studying scripture that I learned in seminary, I would have arrived, as I later did, at the very truths that the Catholic Church proclaims. And I would say that that was also a turning point for me. I began to go back over the texts that I had previously thought sort of brushed Mary away or, you know, uh, diminished Mary. And I went back and read those texts again, and I'll use the phrase, with the Catholic Church. And by, and, and by that, I mean historically having to go back in time and read the writings of different uh, scholars within the, the Catholic tradition all the way back from, from the beginning of church history through uh, the ages of the church and say, how have Catholics read these texts together? And how have they understood these texts? And where are they coming up with these ideas? And do they have a uh, good reason for it? And so many times I can remember being absolutely shocked that I hadn't seen it that way before because it seemed so clear and so obvious reading the Bible with the church that the church was right. And I think that along with Ken, you come to a place where you realize the church, the church of Jesus, is this living 2,000-year-old organism um, that has her collective memory intact. The church can remember what she believes and can recall what she believes, and her memory is unbroken through time. So as I sat down as a 
former non-Catholic, and read the Bible through the collective memory of the Catholic Church, it was, I'll say, easy for me to change my previous antagonism to acceptance of the Catholic ideas. But it, I thought it was going to be harder than it was. But once I began to read Scripture with the Church through the discipline of biblical theology and revisit these texts, um, I mean, bells and whistles and lights, you know, going off oh, for there, me. There goes the bells again. And uh, deservedly, well said, well said. Yeah, I relate intensely to the things you're saying. I relate. All right. So um, just to throw my own experience in there, uh, if one of you all were to ask me uh, when I began to be open to thinking differently about Mary from a Catholic perspective, my answer, my honest answer would be, I'm not sure. Like, <laughs> I, I don't really know when it happened. Um, and part of that is because if you go uh, back and watch, you know, I told my story over the course of five episodes. I think it's like starts in the late 70s through like episode 80 something. But I told my story and my story was very much the story of the conversion of my imagination to understand like really what does the incarnation really mean, right? How did I get beyond that question of just what must did I do to be saved? And instead of like, mm -hmm. um, you know, faith alone, like just seeing this like sort of magnanimous way in which God has like called and created all these things to like give him glory. And somehow in the mix of that, and I'm not really even sure when, Mary kind of like just sort of, all that stuff, it materialized and it made sense, right? Um, and I realized along the way that if I were to take the incarnation seriously, I took, I took the virgin birth seriously, right? And I took the, the fact that Jesus died for my sins very seriously. I took the fact that he rose from the dead very seriously. I took the demands that he made on me as a Christian seriously. But I don't think I took seriously until I started asking all those questions, like, what are the implications of the incarnation? Like, what are the implications? And then, you know, for me, questions start popping up like, you know, if Mary had detached or attached earlobes, Jesus would have too. Like, you know, these little <laughs> things like this sort of materialize in the course of that. So I don't even know when it happened, but it happened, I think, as part of this larger question Um you know, as both of you were talking about, like with authority, right? Or the larger question of what does it mean to read the Bible with the collective memory of Christianity through 2000 years? For me, it was right. like, what does it mean to really understand what it means that God became man? And I realized in the course of this, by the way, I had been operating unconsciously with a very, very low Christology. <laughs> I thought I was operating with like a super high Christology by cutting all this other unnecessary stuff out. When in fact, I was actually operating with a really low understanding of what Jesus was, who he is, because I'd left up all these things that he had surrounded himself with to help me understand who he is. So, yeah. And I think there's, and I think there's something to that, uh, which was also a realization that I had, Matt, just like you. Uh, that my my sense of my Christology was higher than it actually was before I was Catholic, and realizing now on the flip side that it was a lower Christology, because I'll say something here, and it, it'll come up again as we talk about it, that in reality, 
our Marian theology is under the umbrella of our Christology. In other words, when we're talking about Mary the right way, this rolls up into what we believe about who Jesus is in the overall scheme of what God is doing with his world. Um, our a good Marian theology is going to flow out of really good Christology. And that and that's really what, what Marian uh, doctrines and dogmas are about. They're about having a relationship with Jesus that's as full and robust and incredible as what is possible. Okay, I've got to right. rein you guys back, though, before you start yeah. getting into We're, getting, into, we're going into to spoiler territory here. if we get any much right. more. No spoilers. If we go very much more. So this is the chance to, rather than spoil, let's tease. All right. So uh, you mentioned yeah. um, all these dogmas we're going to cover. Uh, if you could... Um, Kenny, and then uh, Ken, you can fill in the blanks. Let us know kind of what the structure is of how we're going to do this moving forward, because I feel like we've done a decent job of sharing where we were and how we all thought. So what's next? Well, the first several episodes after this, we want to cover the four Marian dogmas, and Ken can talk about what we'll do uh, inside of that and beyond that. But the four Marian dogmas, to give you a little teaser, uh, are, are these. One, divine motherhood, or that Mary is the mother of God. And we're going to do these in chronological order as they um, the dogma for them was defined in church history. So Mary's divine motherhood was def defined dogmatically in the year 431 AD at the Council of Ephesus. And then the second dogma that we're going to look at is Mary's perpetual virginity, one that I really struggled with um, before I was Catholic. And that was defined in dogmatic terms in the year 649 AD uh, at the Lateran Council. And this is that Mary was always a virgin before she had Jesus and after Jesus. She never had other children and she always had her virginity intact throughout her whole married life and throughout her whole life. And then third, uh, the Immaculate Conception, which was terminology that I was mistakenly using um, before I was Catholic to refer to the sinless birth of, birth of Jesus. But no, the, the Marian dogma of the Immaculate Conception uh, is that Mary was preserved from the stain of original sin. Mary herself was saved by Jesus from having ever sinned in the original sin. And that was uh, dogmatically proclaimed in 1854. And then finally, the assumption, which means the taking up into heaven, like the picture that Ken painted earlier of, uh, of Elijah and Enoch, that Mary was assumed, body and soul, into heaven, um, you know, at the moment either of her death or her dormition, whatever words are chosen, this is dogmatically uh, defined by the church in the year 1950. And so we're <laughs> going to unpack all four of these Marian dogmas first, but more than that, right, Ken? Yeah, and uh, the reason I'm laughing is because those dates just immediately raise, you know, the complaint, you know, like, like you guys believe doctrines that were not even defined until 1950. Are you insane? You Catholics, you know, 
And of course, we're going to have to get into what does it mean for a dogma to develop and what does it mean when a dogma is defined? Is that when it's created yes. or, you know, blah, we're going to get into a lot of things. Okay. Yes. But we're going to walk through those primary dogmas over the coming weeks, but then we will also talk about veneration of Mary. We'll talk about Marian devotion. We'll talk about asking a Mary to pray for us and probably several other things. We're, we will try to, you know, clean up the details and do as thorough a presentation as we can of how we came uh, to become Catholic in our views of the Blessed Mother. That's it. Yeah, and uh, hopefully we'll answer along the way some stuff that people who are coming into the church are also asking, which is how much of this is required and how much of this is optional, <laughs> right? Like how much do I actually have to like fully assent to and participate in and believe in and how much can I just be like, well, I don't know if I want to pray this particular novena yeah. to this to our lady of this like weird town in France that I've never heard of. Like, do I have to do that one? So hopefully we'll cover some of those topics as well along the way. But hopefully also you've gotten a sense of how this is going to go and uh, the tone we intend to bring to it with On the Journey with Matt and Ken and Kenny. Uh, again, if you want to come uh, over to chnetwork.org, you can find all kinds of great resources on Mary that other people have written um, as well. You can also, if you're looking for community and want to have this uh, kind, of, uh, kind of a conversational approach to this with other people who have been on this journey, as it were, go to community.chnetwork.org. That's free to join, and it's an awesome, awesome group of people. And plus, uh, you know, it's it's free, but it's only free uh, because we have lots of great supporters who make this all possible. And if you are not one of them and want to be, uh, you can become a financial supporter, and especially a monthly one, by going to chnetwork.org slash compass. Kenny's our development director, and he'll kill me if I don't tell you how you can give money <laughs> so that we That's can right. keep on doing this. <laughs> um, Kenny Burchard, Ken Hensley, thank you. This is going to be a ton of fun. I'm having a ton of fun already. We'll talk to you next week. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks so much. God bless you guys. <laughs>